0: Can someone please just give me a, a mic check, see that you can hear me okay, is the sound okay can someone just give me a mic check please very quickly, okay بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين So welcome to uh, our another lesson I think we're on what is it lesson 14 or 15 now of uh, QP for this year So alhamdulillah we're, we've been like doing this for a few months now And inshallah ta'ala we're still uh, continuing with the tafsir of Surah Al-Alaq So last week we spoke about a few issues or a few So last week we spoke about a few issues or a few a couple of verses and we're still towards the beginning of this surah, but we spoke about the. Uh, I think we were on verses two and three, where Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says, After إِقْرَأ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي khalaq, خَلَقَ insana min alaq إِقْرَأ wa أَكْرَمٌ." And we mentioned a number of points uh, related to those two verses, and from those points that we mentioned is Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala uh, specifying as a as a further favor of His after mentioning that Allah Azza created all of mankind. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifies the creation of man because as we know in the Qur'an and throughout the Qur'an and even in the Sunnah the Prophet wasallam told us that Allah azza wa jal favored us in certain ways and from those favors is what Allah mentions elsewhere in the Qur'an وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي Adam," and we favored the children of Adam uh, and then likewise you know, from the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the favors that Allah azza wa jal will now mention as he continues and from them is اِقْرَأَ وَرَبُّكَ Akram." Read and your lord is the most generous and from his generosity subhanahu wa ta'ala is what he will now mention in the coming verses that we are going to speak about today especially verses 4 and 5 and remember that these uh, five verses that we were speaking about are still uh, they are still part of the uh, opening passage of this surah and those are the verses that are still uh, concerning the initial revelation that was given to the prophet so we're still very much speaking about that same context so what we heard last week, what we did a couple of weeks back—all of this kind of still ties into the same issue, and that is the Prophet ﷺ receiving revelation for the first time. But before we uh, continue with uh, today's lesson, a couple of things that I wanted to uh, uh, to point out and to and to mention. The first thing is um, regarding something that I wanted uh, everyone's help in. I wanted to be a collaborative project. One of the things that I've been um, looking at over the last few months and you know even uh, before that is uh, what kind of information or what kind of uh, you know what we have in terms of resources and in terms of sources when it comes to Quranic study in general in the English language and, and primarily written so not for example necessarily something which is audio something like QP which is very much based on, on video and, and teaching live, but in terms of the written uh, form. so what we have in terms of books and in terms of, of written material, uh, concerning the book of Allah, Subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's not that that's in the English language. So, obviously, in Urdu you have much, and you have maybe a lot, you have lots in Arabic, and maybe you have lots in other languages as well. But when it comes to, for example, the English language, what do we have? And what I wanted us to do together uh, is to kind of have like a, a reference point, kind of have a, an index of everything that's available in the English language. So, I was hoping that one of you uh, would um, take responsibility for this in the sense of collating that information. We would all, inshallah ta'ala, be part of that in terms of putting forward what we come across. But one person takes the responsibility, and we can do this through the telegram groups that we have. So, whenever you come across something, you post it up. Then, whoever, inshallah ta'ala, is, is or even if it's a couple of people that are willing to take responsibility for this. And what we then essentially have is almost like a reference book, right? Almost like, um, you know, a reference book or, or, or something, uh, something that we can use to collate everything together. And what I'm looking at is three primary categories that are, that I would want to, to categorize this in. The first is tafsir, so anything that's been written in tafsir in the English language that can be written from scratch, so authored, or it can be a translation from something which has been translated from, for example, Arabic into English or Urdu into English. So, for example, tafsir Jadalay, like we did uh, in Ramadan, that's a translation, right? But then there are others who have written authored books uh, in the English language. So you have people that, for example, have written something on maybe Surah Fatiha or Surah Buruj or Surah Mulk or uh, I don't know Surah Yasin or whatever it may be. So that's the first one. The second category. So the first one is tafsir. The second category is translation of the Quran. So we have lots of translations of the Quran. We have translations, for example, of the complete Quran, and there are many of those. Going back to even orientalists, you know, and we can further subcategorize that into what is maybe an orientalist approach to that translation and, and whatever. We can even further subcategorize when we come to that, when we come to look closer to that, But for example, translation in general. So we have the translations of the Qur'an, then you have translations of just some surahs of the Qur'an. So maybe someone just did a word for word translation of a surah of the Qur'an. Um, you know, I know, for example, in al Huda Institute, I think some of you are uh, with us are students of that, uh, that organization and that institute in, in, in Canada. Uh, was telling me that they do this, they have like these word-for-word translations that they're working on. So that's like a good resource to have. And then you have, for example, Dr. Sheikh Muhar Ali, his word-for-word meaning of the Qur'an, the three volume one, and there are others as well. So we have the first category, which is tafsir, and it has to be tafsir only. So whether that's the complete Qur'an or a verse of the Qur'an or a portion of the Qur'an, whatever it may be, or number two, the translation, right? So Solange is saying, look, they just did the 30th just complete. Well, uh, Alhamdulillah. And I, I saw a part of that, she uh, showed some of it to me and it looked like a very good uh, a very good uh, effort. So that's something which is also beneficial and has its place in study. The second category then would, would be this, this translation with the word for word, where the complete Quran, whether it's however it's done. And the third one would be Quranic sciences. So the third category, so category number three is anything to do with Quranic sciences. So for example, uh, whether that's Sheikh Yasir Qadi's uh, book on, on, on the sciences of the Qur'an whether it's someone for example who's just written on I don't know the Qiraat maybe or maybe someone has written on for example uh, you know, one of the elements of the science of the Qur'an like for example the uh, you know how the Qur'an was, was compiled, the compilation of the Qur'an in the time of Uthman and it could be anything to do with Qur'anic sciences so long as it, is, it falls under that purview of, of Qur'anic sciences it's okay as long as it falls within that so it wouldn't just be uh, you know just something that may mention Quran on the side as well so like a book on Islamic studies but it has a chapter on Quran right that's not what we're looking for we're looking at someone who's actually speaking in detail on the topic of Quranic sciences not as an add-on or just as a chapter of maybe what what is a larger work maybe that's something which further on we can look for when you come to a secondary stage and, and we want to go into further detail and benefit from it you know there's a, a Sheikh in, in, in Riyadh that I met a, a couple of years ago um, and he's not a very well-known Sheikh, but he was from the uh, senior students of our Sheikh Mbaz. One of his life's projects has been to do a complete index in Arabic of every book that has been written about Islam. So, for example, his idea is that just say you wanted to, uh, I don't know, look for a book in dua. You go to his book in, in you know, it's like multiple volumes. It's obviously like a second encyclopedia in itself. But you go, for example, to volume number five, all about dua then what he's done is he's broken it down. to so books that speak about maybe uh, aspects of, only, of of du'as, azkar, uh, the etiquettes of du'a, the du'as that are weak that are narrated in the sunnah, du'as that are, you know, and, and he's basically broken it down and under each one, he just gives you the book, so-and-so wrote a book, so-and-so did a PhD study, so-and-so. And he doesn't mention it, but he's, given, he's referenced it for you. So he's basically made the job easy for you rather than having to research. Because anyone that's done research, as you know, if you're doing, uh, you know, in any subject, but in Islamic studies, if you're doing, for example, a master's or a PhD, or you just want to research for your own personal benefit. The, one of the main challenges at the beginning is to do like a broad kind of sweep of everything that's already out there so that you can gather that information and make sure that someone's not already tackled the topic number one that you want to tackle or even if they have and you want to do it again, that you have access to all of the information that is out there. That in in Arabic is obviously like, you know, it's it's taken him uh, years and years to do and he's still working on it. And obviously the problem is that, you know, as soon as he finishes today, by next month there will be like 10 new books out. So it's something which will continuously be updated. But but for us in the English language, you know, it's something which I think even wider uh, there is a need for just for someone to kind of accumulate this but because our kind of focus is the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Quran and I think that's a very nice thing to begin with You know, even myself sometimes I struggle for example in the English language because most of my references are in Arabic but in English has someone written a good work on for example I don't know a, an aspect of of, of of Quranic sciences or has someone dealt with something in, in a lot of detail so for example you know like waqf and the science of starting and stopping in the recitation of the Qur'an. Where can you pause? Where can't you pause? How do you pause? Has anyone actually written about this? And maybe there are people that have written, but we're just not aware of it or it's something which may be, you know, a PhD study that was done somewhere or something. So this is what I want us to do, inshallah. And, um, you know, I want this to be a collaborative effort uh, because I am probably like not the best person to do this myself. My uh, access to English um, isn't as good as you may assume that it is. So, uh, and what I mean by available is something which you can obviously access. So even if it's a PhD, that's okay because that's accessible. You may have to contact the university or the institution uh, to ask for a copy, but it is still accessible. They will have it on, on record and on file. Obviously, if it's just someone's pet project that they've done at home, that's a manuscript, that's not available. Unless they're you know, going to share that into a PDF or put it out onto the internet. But I mean actually stuff that you can buy or stuff that's available on the internet or stuff that's, for example, a, 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 a research uh, you know kind of like academic research that can be obtained in one way or another even if it may not be available en masse. So that's what I'm referring to. So uh, I think if we can do this together so every So anytime you come across something you know you can just post it up um, you can just post it up onto the telegram group or I think someone said something about um, a google sheet All right Solange right I'm not I, I'm not the best person to understand what that is or how you use that but if if maybe you can like let everyone know on the telegram group and that way like if you set something up and it's easily accessible to everyone and we can just have those three categories. So we have tifsir, we have translation of the Quran, we have Qur'anic sciences, and we can just add to that as we want. There is a lot of pirated material online. So we're not gathering this, right? I don't want you to download this and keep this. I just want the reference for it. So I want, for example, the name, right? So it's like a reference book. Like you have, for example, bibliography. Right, in 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 a book in an in academic research book or any book at the back you have a bibliography and what it does is it tells you the name of the author the name of the book you know the edition the where it was printed and and whatever that's all we need we don't actually need the book We're not, i'm not asking you to buy stuff or download stuff or take stuff or request stuff what we want is we just want an index right we just want that information so as long as we have that and we understand, okay, this is where this was from, this is who is printed from, or if it is just online, it's a PDF, then you can put the link of the website that you found. So for example, you know, I don't know, Muslim Matters, for example, has something. So you put muslimmatters.com, right, or prophetic guidance has something. So that's the, the source, right? So you can reference the website exactly, right? You can, you don't have to, I don't want you to download or buy stuff or, you know, like, get stuff delivered to anyone. That's like something else. Then, you know, then it's just, a reference that all of us have together mutually, that inshallah ta'ala, if at some point someone wants to do something, at least they know what's available, then you can choose what you want and you can reference what you want. So, one of the things that I was you know, looking at last year uh, that gave me this idea is when I was looking at the tafsir, the classical tafsir that have been translated into English. And I was looking and I found, you know, obviously, tafsir jalalain, uh, there's a tafsir of Sa'di that's been uh, translated, Ibn Kafir, there is portions of Razi and al Qurtubi, and I think someone even said al Tabari. So portions of this have been done. How much has been done, to what extent? And then the other thing that you know we, we, we need to look at then is, for example, if it is a Tabari, is it a summarized version of a Tabari? Or is it actually the full Tabari? Ibn Kathir, was that the summary of Ibn Kathir? Or was it the full Ibn Kathir? Jalanine, was it the full Jalaneen or someone just summarized? Because often we don't really understand this because sometimes you just assume but actually if you read through the introduction the, the translator will say no this isn't the full one it is an abridged version right like ibn the Kathir. ibn Kathir in English is not the full ibn Kathir it's the summarized ibn Kathir that has been translated into the English language so this is very like inshallah ta'ala useful i think it's something which would benefit not just us as QP students but even more wider that, that can be shared and inshallah benefited uh, benefit other students of knowledge as well so that's kind of what, what i uh, wanted us to uh, focus or at least look at and it's a casual thing whenever you come across something just send a message or upload it, and then, inshallah, you know we can collate that together. And over time, you know it may take months; it may even take a year or two. But we that 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 resource will build, right? That list will become longer, and we will have the different offshoots that we need. And then, if we see that, for example, in Tafsir there's loads on the Quranic sciences that are there is so much, we can subcategorize, right? We can look at Qiraat, we can look at, for example, um, you know some things to do with the compilation of the Quran, and so on. You can subcategorize that too. Inshallah Ta'ala and the same in tafsir is a summarized tafsir, is it a basic tafsir, is there, a, uh, is there, a, uh, is there an intermediate tafsir, is there advanced tafsir. You can subcategorize that further as well. Okay, so where we were is on verse number four, right? And that's what inshallah ta'ala we're going to continue with today. And in this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number four, Allah Azza wa Jal says, bilqalam. So verse number three, akram. read in the name of your Lord again. Right? So Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying, read, and your Lord is the most generous. بالقلم, the one who taught by means of the pen. بالقلم, the one who taught by means of the pen. That is the translation of Abdul Halim. Sahih International who taught by the men, Muhsin Khan, who was taught the writing by the pen. And then in brackets he says, the first person to write was the Prophet Idris alayhi salam. So, uh, Allah Azza wa Jal speaks about this. Shaykh Muhammad Al Amin al Ta'ala in his tafsir, he says there are two ways to stop on these verses verses three and four. There are two places, two types of, of pauses that we can have. And remember, one of the benefits of studying the science of, of waqf and ibtida, which is where you can pause and can't pause and how to restart and when to restart, is that depending on where you stop, sometimes. It will change the meaning. Now, obviously, if it changes the meaning to something which is incorrect or something which is incomplete or something which is problematic, it is something which, which isn't allowed. But if it changes the meaning to an acceptable meaning, then you get two different uh, understandings of what that verse is, and both of them are correct. Both of them are correct. Uh, Salange, uh, shall we do the research question at the end? Yeah, we'll do, inshallah ta'ala, we'll do the research question at the end. So, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Iqra, Shaykh Muhammad al says the first stop can be on verse number 3 Iqra and you stop, read and then وَرَبُّكَ الْأَكْرَمُ الَّذِي عَلَّمَ بِالْقَنَمُ and your Lord is the most generous who taught with the pen or you stop the way that we stop Iqra, وَرَبُّكَ الْأَكْرَمُ read and your Lord is the most generous عَلَّمَ بِالْقَنَمُ who taught by means of the pen what's the difference in the meaning between the two, can someone tell me so if you were to stop just on Iqra and then to join the rest of verse 3 with verse 4 how does that change the meaning what what context what, what context does it change the meaning towards anyone tell me so he's saying one stop اقرا وَرَبُّكَ الاكرم الذي علم بالقلم and then اقرا وَرَبُّكَ الاكرم الذي علم بالقلم Anyone? So one, the first one, the one that we, we're we reading with generally, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us stop or we generally stop at the end of verse number three. right? iqra wa rabbuka akram Read, and your Lord is the most generous and you pause. That generosity then of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, the meaning, and, and what we're looking at here is how it impacts this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah azza wa is saying he's the most generous, meaning that he's the most generous in the blessings and favors that he has bestowed upon us. So Allah Azzawajal's generosity therefore is general. Right? Is general. So therefore, it is general in everything. Allah is general, His generosity is general in everything. Every blessing from, from His generosity, every favor that He's given, and so on. And then Allah bil Qalam is like a new a new verse, right? It's a new we're starting a new sentence. And he has also taught by the pen. And that is one of Allah's uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's many favours and blessings. Or Iqra, read and you stop. And your Lord is the most generous who taught you with the pen. Meaning that that is from the greatest favors of Allah. And both those meanings are correct. No doubt Allah's favors are many. And the pen is from those blessings. But the second way of starting and stopping gives us an added meaning. right? Which is that and from those greatest blessings of Allah is the fact that he taught you to write with the pen. Because of the importance of knowledge and because of what we've mentioned before. And that's to understand that, right? That's that's important because it gives you that additional meaning, but then you also understand uh, what um, a number of the scholars of Tafsir are, are saying concerning these verses about how, why Allah points to this particular issue. Why does he say, for example, that he taught us? And he's still speaking about the issue of knowledge, and still speaking about the issue of learning and, and seeking knowledge. Qatada said, after reciting this verse, he said, "The pen is from the greatest blessings of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Were it not for it, then life would not be able to continue. Life would cease, right? And others will, will mention this in more detail. Qatada rahimahullah was the way of the Salaf. You know, the the um, you know their words are usually very succinct and very 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 uh, very um, eloquent, and they don't really go into a lot of detail, but the, the meanings of them are very deep." Ibn Atiyah said The one who taught you with the pen. Right? And some of the scholars said that he, that the person that is being taught here is being referred to as the Prophet ﷺ. That he's the one who's being taught. But other scholars said, Ibn Atiyah said other scholars said that actually it is more general and he said and that is what seems to be more apparent in the verse. That Allah isn't speak, speaking specifically to the Prophet and his process of seeking knowledge and learning. But that it is a general ni'mah for all of the ummah because everyone benefits before the time of the Prophet wasallam, after the time of the Prophet. al taala he said, that this verse speaks about the, one of the greatest and most perfect blessings of Allah جل, and that is that he taught his servants what they did not know and he took them from the darkness of ignorance to the light of knowledge and he pointed to them and highlighted to them the importance and the virtue of writing because of the, the great and vast benefits that that contains that no one really comprehends or understands and um, and the sciences were not codified nor was wisdom written, he says, nor was the, was the uh, history of peoples and nations recorded except through the issue of writing. Nor was the knowledge that we were given, whether it's the knowledge of the dunya or the knowledge of the deen, nor was it sent down to us except through and by the writing of the pen, right? the writing that we did. And so Imam al Ta'ala is saying very much the same thing, he's elaborating on the statement of Qatada. So Qatada is saying in general, it's from the greatest blessings of Allah. Al-Imam al rahimahullah. is going into more detail concerning the blessings of that pen. And that is what also uh, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shaqiti rahimahullah ta'ala says as well. Because with the pen, you learn, right? Because what others have written is a source of knowledge for you, he says. But also then what you write and what you spread is something which other people may also benefit from as well. And SubhanAllah, it shows you the beauty of our religion. and minna Qaym, as we will see at the end of the next verse, we'll say something similar to this. And that is that our knowledge is taken in both forms, the, the verbal oral form, which is so important because much of what we teach is done by mouth to mouth. It's done from teachers to students. It's, it's spread by word of mouth. But at the same time, so much of that is important to be recorded in the written form as well. Because otherwise, if you, even if you look at the knowledge that we learn, what you will learn from a teacher, from me or from someone else is limited. What you're meant to then do yourself is to take what you've learned and to expand upon that. How do you expand upon that? Either you go to other teachers, but that is not always really so easy to do. Or if you, Even if you go to them, the way that you expand beyond them is by reading right, what they have read and researching what they have researched and going and studying further in the you know vast books and encyclopedias that we have around us, the scholars have written and recorded and passed down from generation to generation for many, many years. And that's why you know, from the very early times, other, after more or less the time of the companions, even though we know in the time of the companions, there are narrations that they would write. The Quran was written, just not compiled together in a single book form, but it was written. People would write on parchment and they would write on uh, dry skin and they would write on wooden box and so on. People were still writing, right? People were recording. And Abu Huraira says that there was no one who narrated more hadith than me from amongst the companions of the Prophet sallallahu except for Jabir. Ibn Abdillah he says because Jabir would write and I would write, I would memorize and Jabir would write and so he was able to record more than me even though Abu Hulayra as we know in terms of numbers of narrations surpasses Jabir But Jabir no doubt is from the most prolific narrators of the hadith of the Prophet So they would write. right? And so what happens is over time, very soon after the time of the companions, they begin to write, Umar is writing stuff down and he's sending letters and recorded you know kind of like knowledge that he's sending to Abu Musa al-Ash'ari or to other companions when they're governors and he's outlining for them certain laws and stuff but knowledge as in terms of its codification happens then in the time of Uthman when he starts to compile and he, start, and he compiles the Musaf into a single book form and in the time of the Tabi'een you have the first uh, collections of ahadith right um, the first, you know, it is said that the first person to actually start recording and writing down a hadith was Imam al zuhri taala, uh, because before that, even in the time of the companions and the senior tabi'in, when someone would come and narrate to them hadith, they wouldn't even ask them for uh, for the chains of narration. Sheikh Muhammad ibn the taala, the Imam. Of hadith he says that people used to come and us hadith and we would just accept them because we knew them to be trustworthy and we knew that the people that they're narrating from are companions but then when other people started to come and started to invent stuff in the hadith started to lie started to twist started to manipulate then we started saying to them name your narrators to us we want to know who you took this from because no longer is that same uh you know level of of authenticity and trust and integrity remaining so now also, at the same time, they start uh, writing it down. As, as Yuthi says in his, in his poetry, أول جامع الحديث شهاب Umar عمر بن الله تعالى was the first one to command the scholars to start writing stuff down in hadith. And, and Imam zuhri was the first one that he spoke to. And he said to him, start writing down. And Imam uh, zuhri is from the younger Tabi'in, rahimahullah taala, And then from his students are the likes of Imam Malik and others. And obviously, Imam Malik has his muatta as well as you know, the other scholars of his time and his era So this is what these ulama are saying, that the importance of, of recording knowledge and writing. So we have the verbal tradition, the oral tradition, but at the same time we have the written tradition as well. And Murray, not for the written issue of, of, uh, you know, of uh, the written tradition, of the Prophet الله- uh, that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam established in his time allowed gave permission for and then how that developed how much knowledge would we have lost right like the tafsir of Tabari how much knowledge have we lost because many of those works have been lost uh, to history for one reason or another but even from the works that we have if we didn't have all these works of tafsir all these works of aqidah all these collections of Hadith all these books in, in 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 Fiqh how much of that knowledge would have been lost every time a scholar passed away so this is uh, basically what these scholars are saying rahmatullah, and Imam Ibn Qayyim is a very nice statement that we will speak about, but that we will speak about inshallah ta'ala uh, in a short while because that is, uh, it is nicely uh, mentioned. Uh, Hamza says, I feel a research question coming on related to this. And you are right Hamza, there is a research question uh, coming on related to this, but maybe not in the way that you're thinking. Uh, the question that I have for you actually is related to verse number four, but now directly to the issue that we're speaking about in terms of how was knowledge formulated or codified or who started uh, recording knowledge. The question that I actually have for you because Allah Azza wa Jal says bil-qalam," The one who taught with the pen. And some of the scholars here use this as a reference point for an issue that you find in the books of Aqeedah and in the books of tafsir and so on. And that is what is the first creation that Allah created? What is the first thing that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala created? So before the heavens and the earth and Adam Ali and every every everything else, what was the first thing, the number one thing that Allah created? Allah subhanahu wa taala was there before everything, and there is no creator for him, and he is the first, and nothing is before him subhanahu wa taala. What is the first thing that he created? And as you can expect, there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir and the scholars of Aqeedah concerning this issue and that is your research question. So to tell me what is the first thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created and what are the opinions and you know if possible what are the evidences that they bring to support that because obviously they will base that opinion on something, a verse of the Quran, a uh, hadith of the Prophet, a statement from the companions Anhum So what is the first thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created, right? So that's what I want you to, inshallah, have a look at, and inshallah, next week we will discuss that in more detail. So uh, let's stop now. Let's um, let's so uh, let's do that research question now, Solange. So you're saying uh, could that include the arsh or is that excluded because it is his? Everything besides Allah is created. Right? There is a creator and a creation. Allah is the creator. Everything besides him, everything is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because otherwise, if it's not a creation, it is created. So therefore, if Allah is the creator, everything besides him is creation. So what is the first of those creations that Allah created subhanahu wa ta'ala? That includes everything. There is nothing that is excluded from that, except that which is, you know, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he is the creator. And I know what you guys are saying about the pen and so on, but I would encourage you to research because one of the benefits of researching when you come across these verses and so on is that actually it's not so, uh, you know, it's not as um, straightforward or as black and white or as simple as you may think it is because you heard something or you came across something or maybe you read something without actually going through and doing research, actually you will find that it's not the issue is not so easy or as, as simple as you as you believe. So Solange, can you please remind us before we carry on of, of what the research question was from last week, and then inshallah we can um, see uh, what the what the answers and what the response was as well. And if any of you meanwhile have um, uh, have any questions also, then inshallah you can you can let me know. Ah okay. So this is the question that we have: Were there prophets from amongst the jinn? Right. There, did Allah send prophets to the jinn? Okay, so Ibn Kathir, may mentions a number of things, and, and you guys can all read this. Uh, Solange and Rashid, as usual, have uh, have given us a very long, um, you know, a very long thing. So, and as you can see, there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars of Tafsir concerning this, right? Where where the jinn that was sent from. What did Allah send jinn from the? Uh, uh, sorry, send messengers and prophets from the jinn. The opinion of the vast majority of the scholars is no. Right? That they were only from the humans, and that is the position that Ibn Kathir, ta'ala, mentions. It's the position of the majority of the scholars of Tafsir and Hadith and Fiqh and and so on. The majority of the scholars of Islam held the position that it was only from the humans that Allah wa ta'ala sent the Rusul and the Anbiya, the prophets and the and they give a number of you know a number of uh, examples a number of um, evidences for that and, and you can see some of them here uh, that are mentioned by uh, Salange and also by uh, Rashida as well right and so um, you know, from the we' didn't, never sent before you a messenger except from the men except men that we uh, revealed to right we divinely gave them revelation. And there are many other uh, narrations in the quran and the Sunnah. that is the majority opinion the only uh and there were a few scholars who disagreed with that and perhaps one of the most notable of them that supported that position was al-imam ibn hazm rahimahullah ta'ala and ibn hazm rahimahullah as you know is often uh someone not only was he an illustrious scholar of fiqh and, and quran and hadith and usul and so on but he's also someone who's very like strong and passionate about his views so when he supports something and he defends something, he defends it to the hilt. He's not someone who, you know, he will actually go full in. And so he has a number of positions concerning that. He's also one of the few scholars who supported the position that um, that some of the uh, women that are mentioned in the Quran, that they were prophets from the women as well. And that there's no reason why we should dismiss that. He was one of the few scholars and the vast majority of the scholars disagreed. And the stronger opinion on both of those issues is that the prophets and messengers of Allah are only from the men. Right, only from the men and that's well established in the Qur'an and it's well established in the Sunnah and there is nothing either from the Qur'an or the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ which in any way establishes that Allah sent any type of prophet or messenger to the jinn right? but rather it is from the humans and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent those prophets and messengers and Allah knows best so that was our research question so allah Khair again I'm Breen as well Jazakumullah Khair for that as well okay so let us continue now on, on verse number five so this week's research question then in order for um for, for next week is concerning the first creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what is the first creation that Allah Azza wa created okay in verse number five Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says and this is the final verse in that first few verses that were revealed to the Prophet ahirah the Prophet Allah says ma lam ya'lam, Who taught man that which he did not know Who taught man that which he did not know So verse number 4 He is the one who taught by the pen ma lam ya'lam, He taught man that which he did not know So Allah speaks about the pen as being his blessing And the benefit of that pen Or the purpose of it Or one of its blessings is That it teaches people What they did not know What they were ignorant of. And Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that the word insan here, he taught man he said that there were three different opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir as to who it refers to. The first of them the first of you is that it refers to Adam Alayhi salam. That the man that is being referred to, al Al-Insan and insan is a generic term it can mean humans, it can mean a single individual or it can mean all of mankind he said that it refers to Adam Alayhi salam. And he says the reason why is because Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la explicitly mentions teaching Adam in the Quran, in Surah Al-Baqarah, when he says, وَعَلَّمَ آدَمَ الْأَسْمَاءَ كُلَّهَا And when Allah taught Adam all of the names, right? And we went through this story briefly before when Adam and the angels say to Allah وجل, why are you creating this creation that will only shed blood and cause and wreak havoc upon the earth? And Allah says, you don't know what I know. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then teaches Adam alayhi salam all of the names. Right? And then he tells or he asks the angels to name the same things and they are unable to. And Adam alayhi salam does. So is that what Allah Azza wa is referring to in verse number five, yalam. That is the first uh, position that al qutb ibrahimullah mentions. The second position is that it's referring to our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the Insan, Insan, he taught man, the man that's being referred to here is none other than our Prophet Sallallahu and that is because Allah says elsewhere in the Qur'an وَعَلَّمَكَ مَا لَمْ تكن تعلم وكان فضل الله عليك عظيمة. and he taught you, meaning the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi that which you do not did not know and that is from the greatest favors and blessings of Allah upon you, right? And so Allah is specifically saying in the Qur'an that he taught the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so the first position is that it is Adam The second position is that it is our Prophet sallallahu wasallam. The third position is that it is referring that it is referring to everyone. That it is am general. So insan means humankind, and we taught man. And I think that's how it's generally been uh, translated, from what I can see. Uh, Mufti Taqi says we imparted. Uh, who, he, uh, Mufti Taqi says he taught man what he did not know. Abdul Hanim says more or less the same thing. Muhsin Khan Sahih International, all of them go with that. And that is the position of the majority of the scholars of Tafsir that man here is being referred to in the general sense of all of humankind, all of mankind. Uh, and that's because Allah Azzawajal also speaks about teaching man in the Quran in other verses as well. And from them is the verse of the Quran Wallahu akhrajakum min butuni ummahatikum la ta'alamuna shay'a. لَكُمُ السَّمْعَ وَالْأَبْصَارَ وَالْأَفْئِدَةَ So Allah says and Allah is the one who extracted you from the wombs of your mothers not knowing anything. You knew nothing. And then he gave to you hearing and he gave to you sight and he gave to you uh, intellect or hearts and so that you may show gratitude. So Allah jal is saying that they knew nothing then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala through their senses allows people to learn and to educate themselves and to uh, you know get to know what they need to know in terms to be able to live and this is the position also that was chosen then by Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shaqidi rahimahullah ta'ala and he uses the same uh, the same verse الشيئة, the verse in surah an-nahl and he says similar to it is only and, and he says also in addition to Allah azza wa Jal teaching it is mentioned within, or it is indicated within this verse, that he also gives you then the ability to teach others. <inaudible> Allah taught us what we did not know. But within that is our ability to then pass on that knowledge to others, which is one of the greatest, um, you know, if you like, one of the, the greatest traditions or values of humans from the beginning of time, is that they have always wanted to pass down knowledge in one way or another, be that written, be that taught. Even as parents, one of your you know, a parent with a child, one of your main goals, if you like, one of your main purposes, one of the main responsibilities that you feel that it's upon your shoulders is to teach your children. And I don't just mean in, in terms of giving them an education, teaching them maths and science and history and geography. I mean even in terms of imparting to them wisdom, experience, right? What you've benefited from, the mistakes that you've made, what to avoid, what to stay away from. That is a type of knowledge that it is imparted. There is knowledge that you can learn and access from books, but there's a knowledge that requires experience. There's a knowledge of how to be able to deal in social settings. That's not something which you can necessarily read from a book. That's something which requires a different type of imparting of knowledge. And one of the things that humans have always wanted to do and have always had the need to do is to teach. And we often do that with our children. We do that with other people that we come across. We do that with friends. We do that with, with, with relatives. We always, want to impart that knowledge so not necessarily in this strict you know uh, formal kind of setting and 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 within those kind of guidelines but even in the very informal way very subconscious way very uh, the way that we teach through just experience when you approve of something or don't approve or ask or tell someone how they can improve upon something as well as approve or disapprove of, then that is also a form of teaching. And so this is what Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Rahimahullah Ta'ala says. And he gives the example in the Quran where Allah Azzawajal says about the people who uh, send hunting dogs, right? It's halal, if you have a dog that hunts and that dog captures an animal that is halal and kills it for the sake of hunting, not to satiate its own hunger, or to quench its own thirst from the blood of the animal, but rather it does so simply to hunt for you. Allah Azza wa makes it halal. Right? And Allah Azza wa Mimma says, uh, علمت, uh, Allah Azza wa says, what is the verse? hunna. mimma allamakumullah You teach, meaning you train those dogs from that which Allah Azza wa Jal has taught you. Fa'kulu mimma msakna alaykum So eat from that which they have, caught for you and recite, invoke Allah's name upon it. That's also a type of teaching, right? When you train and you teach and you give people or even animals in this sense, that experience. And this is what Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin ta'ala, is speaking about. Then he says, and also in addition to that is the meaning that it is speaking about the Prophet as well in this verse, because Allah is imparting this knowledge to his Prophet So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching his Prophet also first and foremost. And one of the things that Um, I find interesting from this verse is even though we know that the Prophet received all of his knowledge and revelation through the verbal form right? nothing was given to him written down so the Prophet never received written revelation in a written form it was all oral from Jibreel or what he saw for example in uh, in terms of uh, dreams and so on that's all oral but in the meaning embedded within this, and this is also one of the points that Shaykh uh, Ali Imam Ibn al-Qayyim mentions, embedded within the meaning, is how the Prophet ﷺ should uh, write it down as well, should commit some of that down to the written form, and that is why the Prophet ﷺ, as we know, had scribes from amongst the companions. He had companions like Zayd bin Thabit, radiAllahu anha, later on Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan. عنهم, and others from amongst the companions who were known to be his scribes, that they would write it down. And we already uh, spoken in, in Surah Al-Bayna of the hadith when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Ubay ibn Ka'ab An and he mentions it to him, not only to teach him so that it preserves the Quran, but there were a number of them that would actually write it down, right? They were scribes who would write it down and they would keep it and they would preserve it. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, as we know, also allowed you know, a number of companions to write down when they came and they said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, Write this for me. And the Prophet for some of them allowed that type of writing. In some instances, he disliked it. And that's because he didn't want those certain people to become confused with the Quran, to confuse what is the saying on the Prophet a hadith, an oration, with what is the verse of the Quran because they weren't up to that level. But for other companions, the Prophet allowed it. And so that is clearly established and mentioned within the Sunnah. And so within that meaning of teaching and learning even through the oral and verbal form, is to understand the written form. And even people today who are, you know, Muslims who are generally unread, unlettered, the the people who are illiterate, they will in the vast majority of cases will be able to at least read the Qur'an. Because even Muslims so even if you go back, you know, for many of us, our grandparents and so on, maybe back from the villages of the countries that they came from, where they weren't necessarily educated. They didn't learn to read or write. They didn't receive an education. But one of the things that they were able to do more or less was to be able to read the Qur'an. And they may not have been the most fluent readers of the Qur'an, they may have struggled in reading the Qur'an, but they were taught the qaida. they were told how to recognize letters, Alif, Ba, Ta, tha. And that is why the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, him being illiterate and described as an an ummi But even though we know the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had the ability to write his own name at least, he had the ability to write Muhammad, وسلم, as is mentioned, Ibn Abdullah, as is mentioned in the hadith of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when he rubs out what they didn't want and he wrote it down, he had that ability. And many people have that ability, even people who are illiterate, can sign their names, right? They can spell their names and they can often read the Quran, even if not very fluently, they can read the Quran. And actually, there are people amongst them who are very fluent in the recitation of the Quran. They may be illiterate in terms of being able to read and write generally. And maybe if you gave them an Arabic book, they would struggle to read it because it doesn't have all of the, you know, the fathah and dhammas and the tashkir and all of the vowels on, on those letters. But in terms of reading the Quran, I have come across some of them, some of them even in, in Saudi Arabia, where some of the very old, the, the elderly um, people in that country also didn't grow up being able to read and write. But they were able uh, to read the Quran, and some of them had, mashallah, very good recitation, very fluent in the way that they were able to recite and read. The book of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and so that's not something which is beyond the realms of, of reason of reason. And so the Prophet sallallahu is being given all of these messages within, and the Prophet sallallahu embodies that message, and he also takes it to a people who the majority of them are also illiterate. But he teaches them the importance of being able to, and they had that ability to memorize and to learn and to seek that knowledge, which shows you also from the blessings of this religion and the way that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has given us this knowledge is that even if a person can't read and write, they can still seek knowledge. They still have the ability to learn because the companions and many of the other people around them, not all of them were literate and not all of them were educated. In fact, the vast majority of them actually memorised rather than wrote things down and recorded them. And that's the same with whether it's Abu Hurair or whether it's the most senior companions like Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman, you don't have narrations concerning their lives that they would write all of this stuff down and they would record it. But they memorized and they knew and they understood Ajmain. Ibn al الله تعالى after mentioning these five verses, he says, contemplate over these opening verses of this surah and how Allah speaks about the different stages of existence. For Allah begins by mentioning uh, He mentions creation in general, right? That's the first stage that He mentions. He mentions creation in general. Then the second stage that he mentions is the creation of man. So Allah Aziz, as we mentioned before, Allah mentions creation in general, خلق, then al-insan. Allah created man. So number two, the second stage that he mentions is the creation of man. He says because this in itself is a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a moment of contemplation. Because when you look at all of the vast Blessings that Allah Azza wa Jalla has bestowed upon us from the greatest of them, and the greatest that shows Allah's power and His ability, Subhanahu wa taala, is His ability to take us from a a sperm drop and from an alaka and form us into fully fledged humans. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla, even though elsewhere in the Quran He says Allah will speak about the you know the dust, the the sand that we came from, and how we then changed into clay and then how it, it dried out and all of those other different stages that Allah mentions and even before that, how you know we come from every living thing comes from water and so on. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he mentions all of this. But Allah جل, the example that he gave as we mentioned before is the one of alaq. Because alaq was the first thing that could be seen with the naked eye in terms of the creation of man. He says the third stage that Allah then mentions as one of the stages of creation is the stage of learning. right? Because even in, in, in uh, you know, modern science, people accept that the old, you know, the original people, you know, whether they believe, for example, that they were Neanderthals and then they became whatever, they you know, that, that stage, that, that, that process that they often say that humans went through, they say that one of the ways that they became, the way that they became and they became more cultured and learned and educated and be able to do more stuff is through education and through learning, right? And that education and learning you know, even if you go back thousands of years they have those whether it's hieroglyphics or whether it's for example those cave drawings that you find they had an ability to communicate and to preserve some of that knowledge and some of that writing. So he says that the third stage of Allah Allah's creation is the pen through which Allah gave to his creation one of the greatest of his blessings because how else does knowledge become permanent? How else are facts established? How else do people leave Uh, advice for one another. How else do people give testimony and record that testimony? How else do people's lives merge with one another so that they can record what is for them and what is against them? He said how else do people who come later know the news and the history of those who came before them and preceded them? He said were it not for the ability to write, then we would have lost so much knowledge and every single generation would have to restart that process of learning the sh- he says, Rahimallah Ta'ala, look at the rulings of our religion. If we did not know the knowledge of the Salaf and we didn't take from them what they had written down and recorded for us, then how much of our religion would have been lost through forgetfulness, through uh, heedlessness, through negligence, through the inability to learn. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala gave to us from his greatest blessings, the ability to learn. And from the greatest of those blessings to learn with the pen is the Qur'an. Because Allah Azzawajal recorded the Qur'an and that Qur'an, was written and it was spread across the world. And so no one is now able to come and claim that the Qur'an has been changed. No one can come and say that the Qur'an has been misrepresented or miswritten or that there are mistakes within it because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved the Qur'an through the pen and through this issue of recording knowledge. And so, and so Ibn al-Qayyim says, and this is from the greatest benefits of seeking knowledge or of, of the greatest blessings of the pen, which is the preservation of the Quran. And then he says, and likewise the preservation of all knowledge that comes from the Quran and from the Sunnah of the Prophet He says in a very nice uh, statement of his, he goes on to say, so anyone who has written and recorded anything down, meaning that anyone who has wanted to write or author a book or leave some advice, look at the process that he goes through. When you pick up a pen, and you have a dry, empty, plain piece of paper in front of you. And then look at the process that goes through your head in terms of the knowledge and the thoughts and the memories and all of that, that comes together seamlessly so that you can take all of those thoughts and you can write them down and put them onto your pen. And that's why he said, that from the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the meaning of the pen is to be able to take the knowledge of what Allah has placed within our hearts and minds and also from the knowledge that we speak about and then to be able to write that down and record it and preserve it. And and he goes on, it's a long statement but I thought it's a very nice statement that he that he mentions and it's a nice conclusion to these five verses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions. And he speaks about how you know the process and this is obviously Ibn Qayyim as you know was a prolific author, prolific narrator, and his books are amazing from, from all of the different works that he's written, amazing, rahimahullah ta'ala. And he has, even though he's from the prominent students of uh, Shaykh ibn taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala, Ibn al is unique in his own way of writing and in the way that he approaches subjects. whether he writes on usul al-fiqh, like in I'lam al-Muwaqi'een, whether he's writing on Raqaiq, like for example, his books on Jannah, and you know even his poetry of the Nuniyah of Ibn al Rahimahullahu ta'ala. And if, if you're interested in that question that I asked you, the research question concerning what was the first creation, if you're interested in finding Ibn Qayyim's uh, view on this, then from the places that he mentions that, it is in his Nuniyah, his poem on, on Jannah and so on, and uh, Aqidah, And you can find his uh, his position on there in, about this issue in his Nuniyah, in verses in poetry. Um, But Ibn Qayyim, you can see he's a prolific writer because one of the points that he's mentioning and I never thought about this myself until I came across this when you're writing something down you want to record knowledge, you're writing a book you're, you're, you're writing something which is serious look at the process that goes on and subhanAllah when you start writing other thoughts come in and other things that you've read and other things that you come across and one train of thought starts another and one thing links to the second and all of a sudden now and that's why when people do a brain dump and they're writing down or they're brainstorming look at how seamlessly it comes together from a blank piece of page now you have a hundred ideas and from a thought or from a single idea that you start on page number one you have a book that is three four five hundred pages long and all of that is from that blessing of being able to write and seek knowledge and learn and so subhanAllah if you actually contemplate on this verse as Ibn Qayyim rahimullah ta'ala, does and he goes through it in great detail you see how much Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala has favoured us with this type of knowledge and that's you know, even in terms of our worldly life, how much of it wouldn't work if things weren't recorded, if we couldn't write it down. Even in terms of education, in terms of business, in terms of family history and lineage, in terms of recording our dates of birth and you know all of those, that information that is so vital to us, especially in the world that we live in today. But then when you go a step further and you look at our religion and how Allah has not only uh, preserved that knowledge for us, but He encourages us to preserve that knowledge. Al-Imam al-Suyuti because he's a famous scholar of tafsir, as you know, because when we spoke about his uh, his life, his biography ta'ala, jalaluddin al-Suyuti when he was, we were doing the tafsir al one of the things that he did is at the age of 40 is he stopped teaching and he stopped mixing with people and he secluded himself and he began to write and he did so until he passed away for the next like 20, 30 odd years however long it was before he passed away ta'ala, he just secluded himself and he spent his time writing and that's why he has so many books in tafsir in hadith in fiqh in so many different issues he has he's like one of the most prolific narrators of uh, writers and authors in islamic history and that's because he dedicated himself to this ibn al-jawzi uh, in one of his books he has a very nice statement in which he speaks about the you know the different um the different stages of 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 seeking knowledge and spreading knowledge and you know it's it's on the assumption that you know you live Uh, until a ripe old age of like 60 70 80 but he says that the first you know 20 odd years you should spend studying and then from the ages of around 20 to 40 you 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 take that knowledge and you build upon it. so you have your foundation until the age of approximately 20 25 and then until the age of 40 you expand upon that and you you solidify it and you become expert in the fields that you want to specialize in and then at the age of 40 he said you start to teach right and you start to uh, you start to spread that knowledge because that is the knowledge the age at which the prophets of Allah والسلام, used to generally be given prophethood so that's the time that you start to teach and you start to gather your students and you start to spread that knowledge and then he says and if Allah جل, allows you to live until the age of 60 then now start spending more of your time writing and less of your time teaching because not always your students will be uh, will be people who will for example uh, spread your knowledge right because there are who are their students, did that for them, they spread their knowledge, like the four Imams, for example, of the Fiqh Madhabs, like the Imams of, of, of some of the other scholars of, of Islam, their students came and they took their knowledge and they wrote it down and they recorded it and they spread it and they published it. But not always the case, how many of the scholars with the Tabi'een and after them from the teachers of the four Imams and others, that their knowledge wasn't codified and spread in that way. So he says, spend time writing because sometimes that is how Allah Azawajil preserves your knowledge. And he says, and then once you reach the age of 65, 70, then you should spend more of your time in ibadah because your time is coming to an end. The Prophet ﷺ said that the average age of my ummah is between 60 and 70. When you reach the age of 70, then prepare yourself for the meeting with Allah. Subh'anaHu ta'ala. Spend your time worshipping Allah Azza wa and obviously continue to teach and write, but spend your time also in tawbah and istighfar because your end is near. And even though that is, you know, that's his methodology, ta'ala, but I thought it was a nice. Uh, thing that he mentioned and something which i wanted to uh, just reminded uh, it just came to my mind and i wanted to share that with you as well so inshallah i think we will uh, end there for today's lesson and if there are any questions we can take a couple of questions Ustad can it be said that the Qalam refers to human language in general as opposed to only written language i was thinking about how we learn and teach by all sorts of language as opposed to the animals who are born with instincts e.g maps versus migratory instincts. Yeah, so it is generally knowledge in general and Allah knows best, any type of knowledge. So whether that knowledge may be, for example, written knowledge, whether it's oral knowledge, however that knowledge is spread and given, one of that is included uh, within this. And that's why I mentioned that point that the Prophet his knowledge is not written, right? But it's something which is which he learns. Uh, and many, all of us learn, especially our mother tongue, right? Uh, the initial language that you will learn is sometimes more than one language, uh, not through written form, not through study, but just naturally by observing and by learning. Okay, um, based on, Sumaira asks, based on what we studied today, do we infer that written knowledge has a higher station than oral tr- transmission or both equal? No, I think both are equal and I think both have their place, especially if so, if you're talking about in terms of Islamic knowledge, both definitely have their place. So knowledge has always been uh, studied through uh, through teachers. Because you know, someone can write, for example, Tafsir al-Tabari, right, or Tafsir Ibn Kathir, or even Jalalain. But until you go through it with a teacher that understands that methodology and has been through it and so on, even by reading that book, you may come you may come out of it not necessarily understanding much of it or not really being able to appreciate what was there, right? And and the Tafsir Jalalain is a good example because it's something recently that we did. If you were to read Jalalain by itself yourself. You would benefit, no doubt, and you would learn some some things. But I don't think it would be the same as if you went through it with a teacher or with a uh, you know with someone that you studied it with. Likewise, Al Bukhari, you can read all of Bukhari by itself. You can read in you know, all of uh, I don't know any book of Hadith, Adab al Mufrad or al Maram or anything. But just by reading, you will limit yourself, even if you read it with an explanation. And that's because knowledge, our religion, has always m- married the two. Right? It's always been what you read and what you record but also what you take from the maths of of scholars because not everything that they uh, you know that they have is is recorded and also the scholars have methodologies in the way that they write. So there's a methodology in tafsir as we've seen, you know, through our three years, how, it, how to understand tafsir, how even when the scholars write and collect these narrations in their books, what it means and how to use them, how to understand them, how to approach them, you know, how is it conflicting, not conflicting, do we reconcile, not reconcile, one of those things. And it's the same in every science. If you were to do the same with hadith, there is a, a methodology of studying hadith. And and this is one of the problems that we have in our time now where we don't, and I've spoken about this I think before, that there's no methodology in much of what we do. So we teach people hadith but without methodology of hadith. We teach people tafsir but without methodology. We teach and so because we take methodology away for whatever reason, because people are interested or because we don't have enough time or whatever it may be, but what you're doing is a disservice to them because you're not producing students of knowledge. Those students will always struggle. Because they don't understand the tools for the science that they're learning, right? So you know the difference between um, catching fish and teaching someone to fish maybe is another uh, another example, and that's why you always have in Quran you have Iqra. People teach, right? Quran. Quran has always been a, a an oral science. So if you just give someone the Quran, tell them to read, give them all the books of Tajweed in the world, that person would still struggle to be able to read the Quran. Uh, Quran correctly. Right. So that's uh, that's why both are extremely important. I know that there are times you know when one is more beneficial to you and the other is more beneficial to you. And you have to as a student of knowledge learn how to deal with that. Another question when you say that when you said some say the waqf was after Iqra do you mean the waqf the Prophet did or ijtihad of scholars after? So the Prophet uh generally like we don't know every time he stopped. So it is ijtihad. So the scholars speak and they have their, you know, it's a science that they go through and they speak about and so on. And so one of the things that they look at is the Waqf al-A'i, right, Waqf al where the verse is stopped and ended. And also how uh, the Prophet, وسلم, uh, where you can stop in the middle of a verse. So not all of that is recorded from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Not every one of those pauses or stops. It is a science and you learn its, its uh, rulings. And the idea of this is to make sure that the meaning is always correct, that you never break up the meaning or give an incorrect meaning or do something which would anyway make the quran's meaning deficient in any way shape or form and so that's what you're focusing on right that's what the focus of this is and inshallah this year we will do this it will be one of the specials that we will do possibly even after uh, surah alaq because we you know we're kind of hitting december now i think we've been uh, doing this for three or four months now we're coming up to maybe the end of month number 4 and so we haven't really done any qp special so far this year and so I think it would be a nice place maybe after Surah Alak or maybe after another Surah or so we'll, we'll stop and we'll go through we'll do a couple of QP specials and one of them I think we will be uh, on this particular subject. There are There is many that we can do but I think this is a good one to do as well. So inshallah ta'ala that's something which we will do with idhnillahi ta'ala um, Surely, We won't have a winter break right? Not that I'm aware of. I don't think we've ever had a winter break. I think we just carry on and that's because we have a very MashaAllah long summer break, right? We do like um, kind of from Ramadan onwards, so I don't think we do a winter break. I don't remember ever doing a winter break, anyway. Um, or, or maybe uh, what you're referring to is sometimes we do a pre-recorded lesson uh, around the Christmas time because I normally have the Greenland winter conference, right? And uh, but that this year will be slightly different because of uh, COVID and, and social distancing and so on. So, Inshallah, I don't anticipate us having to do that this year. To take a break at all, so inshallah, Taala, we're going to stop here for today. Jazakumullah khiran, barakallahu fikum, and inshallah, I hope that um, if someone can post what we mentioned about the collating the different indexes for the Quran, the different results the different reference points for the three categories of tafsir translation and and uh, Quranic sciences, uh, and then we can figure out a way. If someone can please take the uh, lead on feeling a way of creating that, so whether that's someone that wants to take responsibility or there's some kind of uh, form that we can share, easily accessible, easily editable, easily manageable for people, then inshallah ta'ala that's okay as well. Jazakumullah khairan wa sallallahu wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.